Welcome to the Recon Podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking about one of the fastest growing and one of the sexiest sexual practices for gay, bi, curious, and straight men. We'll be talking about baiting. I'll be talking with Nick Wolf, founder of Beta Bro, about the rise in popularity and visibility of betas on the kink scene, as well as the connection between baiting, fetish, tantra, and brotherhood. Enjoy the episode. Okay, so welcome listeners. I'm sure some of you um, have got questions about this, and I know that I certainly do. I have tons of questions. I can already hear some of you saying, you know, we're simply going to be talking about wanking, but let me assure you, the concept of baiting is definitely more than just, you know, simply having a wank. It's deeper and um, it's definitely more intense. And it's interesting, the more... When I initially spoke with um, with Nick about recording this podcast, um, I really started to think about it a lot and what it also meant for me. But we'll get back there in, in a little bit. You know, one thing I also wanted to bring about that made me think about it was, you know, when I was a teenager, probably like many of you, I had a few years where I was going for the absolute world record. And I'm sure some of you know what I'm talking about. I had wank in the morning before school, several times a day when I was at school, you know, like asking my teacher, you know, can I go to the bathroom to have a, you know, I'd be to the bathroom and have a wank. It would be so intense because it was short and it was secret and it was private. And there was this moment that I was having and then that no one knew. And then I would just go back to class. But it was also like a kind of release of an energy of sort. It was a building up as well as a release. And then, of course, I'd do it again when I got home from school and maybe once or twice more before bed. You know, as a teenager, it was easy to wank 10 times a day. I wouldn't dare try it at my age right now. I mean, <laughs> I need a visit to the hospital if I try to wank 10 times now. But the thing that made me realize was that I didn't do this just for the sake of wanking. You know, there became a point where I realized, you know, this was definitely more about a stimulation. This was a, a harnessing as well as a releasing of a very particular kind of energy. And I also found that the longer I could stimulate myself, which we now, you know, if you're like wanking for long periods, we now know the term for this that most people use is edging. So I would say the longer, you know, I edged myself, the more intense it became, you know, but at that age of a teenager, I never really thought about it. Uh, so much. But as an adult, I also started to realize, you know, that this created a kind of a, a much more heightened state of mind um, and a much more intense level of um, sexual stimulation, you know, um, which sometimes can lead to the most mind blowing orgasms, you know, and this doesn't matter whether you, you know, you release and your orgasm goes or it shoots like clear across the room. Doesn't matter. It's about the inner feeling. For me, it was about the inner feeling. And then also at the point of edging, you come to experience, you know, I get these, what we also now term as inner orgasms, where you have several orgasms before even reaching the point of ejaculation. And I think this is reaching, reaching another kind of heightened sense of stimulation. I think with self-stimulation, this is really good. Um, very interesting for some people. And the fact that I could even get to the state without ejaculation was really good. Super intense. But we'll talk about that later. 
Um, you know, in the intro, I talked about its relationship to like Tantra and fetish. And I can also hear some of you saying already, but wanking isn't a fetish. Why is it a fetish? And hopefully we can get Nick to also talk about this a little bit more, you know, but one of the things I would say too, that especially someone who works, um, you know, the recon platform, I've seen it added to people's profiles so much more in terms of what they would deem as a fetish interest. So I think in the simplest respects like this, who are we to say that it's not for those people? Um, but you see it on people's King Twitters, on their Instagrams, everywhere else, you know, that they're they're a beta or they're into popper baiting or they're into edging. So these things have within recent years, I mean, we know it's been around for centuries, but within recent years, it has become very much more popular. And also people are a lot more open about the fact that they do it, where I think, you know, wanking, baiting, edging was always something that guys did in private. You know, it was a thing you did in secret, you didn't tell anyone about. And I think it's really quite interesting that there is such a shift now that people talk about it more and they're open and like sharing stories also about, you know, baiting, edging, solo baiting, solo edging, or also doing it with other people. Um, and that probably brings me in very nicely into welcoming Nick into the podcast, because, you know, in terms of doing it with other people, you know, he's started this thing called Baiter Bro, um, which is a club. I let him talk about it because I don't want to do it an, an injustice because it's definitely much more than I would probably say that it is. But this comes into also having that connection when we're baiting or edging with other people, which can also really heighten and intensify the situation. So please welcome uh, Nick Wolf to the podcast. Nick, welcome. Um, can you tell us a little bit yourself and about Beta Bro and also about how Nick Wolf came to be? Hello, Antoine. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, so my name is Nick Wolf. I'm based in London. I see myself as a creative entrepreneur. I am identified myself as a baiter. Uh, and the backstory really um, around my name is all goes down to Reddit. So in the beginning of pandemic, I would say around February 2021, I realized um, through very easy means of um, the newspaper. Um, I found out that there's a lot of Zoom orgies that were about on the internet. And it got me really curious. So I Googled it. Next thing you know, I was in a rabbit hole inside a massive subreddit called Gay Zoom, where I started using that as a means to uh, show myself off and masturbate in front of other people. Should I continue with that with the name? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So the way it worked was I didn't have a name. I was using initials as most people do on these little Zoom calls. And you have to quickly scramble, you know, your work sort of Zoom address or Zoom identity into something really non-descriptive or generic. And at one point I was going, you know what? I, I think I I kind of need to just uh give myself something. And um the story was that every time I entered on some of these rooms, you know, not really showing my face, uh, I would always get a wolf as a message. And at this point, uh, I, I didn't really know the social construct of that really so much because I haven't been on uh, Scruff or any of the, the hookup platforms. Um, but I did the typical porn star thing when I said, you know what? Uh, my, my actual nickname, my family name is Nick and my, my mom calls me Nikki. And I thought maybe I'll just combine those two together. So it, it became Nick Wolf. 
Excellent. Now we know. So it was one of the things, one of the things I wanted to talk about was how, you know, during the lockdown, masturbating became so much more popular. And I would imagine myself included, a lot of other people um, really came into their own when they found, you know, they were separate and away from other people and found another level, you know, I mean, with men, it's, it's quite easy. We can do it just because we can. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can do it any time of the day, you know, sitting down, working, you work with your mom at the desktop, ah, oh, my cock is hard. I'm like, or you just like stroke as you go along. It's very easy, but it's always very different when your, your aim isn't just release. It's about experiencing another feeling, another kind of, uh, an intensity. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? What it was like for you? How did you come into it? So I've always been someone who enjoyed cam, camera sort of exhibitionism. Uh, this is a, an online thing I've been doing in a way behind my partner's back, you know, as you do. Uh, <laughs> I'm someone who has curiosity about, oh, how do I find the blurriest edges of this monogamous relationship and also be able to explore myself and my body. So I've been cam camming for, for 10 years or over 10 years, really. And I think the big switch is when I realized I really enjoy watching other men also masturbating. And mm-hmm. I think there's a difference between baiting, jerking off and wanking to a certain degree. I think the idea with baiting is kind of an internalized reflection of um, worshiping your own penis, right? And also worshiping other people's penis as well. It's not so much uh, the idea that you are uh, wanking to get things off or to get out of the way or to get on with work, but to really indulge in that experience of connecting with your body. So I think the cam sort of camera experience really allowed me to see myself differently. And I think it really has changed my sense of reflection of what I actually exude energetically. Uh, towards other people. So during the pandemic, I think it was a super amazing social experiment where, you know, technology had advanced so far that we now have a group of a hundred guys, right? Usually we get the one-on-one, you know, on the the kind of chat roulette style thing, or you might do a, a cheeky WhatsApp call or something a little bit, you know, interpersonal within Skype. But this completely changed the idea that you have a meeting that everyone is as the dicks are out, right? And they're just stroking together. And at that point, I realized like, this is a social phenomenon. You know, we're not just baiting anymore. We're now social, homo socializing through the act of self-pleasure. It's, I don't know, listeners, maybe you can remember, but many, many years ago, I think maybe more than 15 years ago or something, I discovered uh, a website that was very popular and it was called webcamo.de. Does anyone remember that? There was a website called webcamo.de. And I mean, it was, it was clearly European geared towards, um, you know, the German, uh, community. And I can't remember how I discovered it. I think I came across it from chatting to someone else on another old platform called Manjam. My age is coming out here. So someone on Manjam introduced me to webcamo.de and. This was definitely 15, maybe 20 years ago, even. And it was very much this. It was a little community, a network of people. And it was then for me quite interesting that I suddenly had 
access to, you know, watching other people masturbate. And I had never thought about it before until I listened to your talk the other day. Um, and it really gave me an incredible amount of, you know, a powerful flashback, a, a memory of, oh my God, this is what I was experiencing 20 years ago. I just didn't have a term for it. I didn't have a word for it. I didn't really understand that or how intense it was for me to be in that or in my little private space and also sharing this incredibly strong bond this moment you know with this group of other of other men and and it was exactly the same you could either do it singularly so it had little messages and things you could contact people singularly and you could do it this way i don't know whether or not it still exists i should probably look that up and see whether or not that site is still live but i remember coming across it and i used it very often and it was a really interesting way to connect with people who shared the same intensity um an enjoyment or the heightened sensation of watching other people um masturbate as well and once again it was more than just you know having a wank and coming um and it also created this kind of of uh community you know which is something i found very interesting also from listening to your talk you know that you also talk about the sense of brotherhood you know, when you talk about dating. And if I'm thinking about it in, in other terms, you know, I think, um, let's say maybe a bit of fantasy and a bit of reality. We know for many years, it has always been rumored, I say in quotes, you know, you hear about, you know, high school or college circle jerks, you know, the straight guy standing around or wanking on a pizza or jerking off together. And it's, you know, there's like no homo. You know, this is a bunch of bros, as you would term it, you know, just together and and having a and having a wank. And I would imagine also that there is definitely a source of maybe it's a kind of there's definitely a brotherhood. There's a fraternity. There's an understanding, you know, that this maybe doesn't go beyond this point. Um, but we know that this thing, this concept of groups of straight guys, or even gay guys, you know, all jerking together uh, has been happening for such a long time. Why do you think that this concept has become such a fantasy idea for gay men, for kingsters especially? I, I think it's, it's an untapped past memory of coming out as an adolescent and discovering your own sexual energy. And you kind of wanted a friend to share it with, you know, and it, ne it never was something that like you wanted to do it because you wanted them to be your partner, your boyfriend, or you, you kind of fancied them too. But at the same time, there's something about being able to share the growing pains or the excitement about your body with someone. Other. And I still have these memories of when I was 12 and 13 about uh, guys going, oh, I've just watched this porn uh, and it's really hot and this is what happened. And also talking about when and how you first ejaculated. And they were very intimate and very amazing conversations to have with other guys. And I think what this particular kink, if you can call it a kink, because I believe masturbation, whether it's watching or showing off or doing with someone else, is kind of bringing back that level of intimacy that we all longed for in you know a growing boy into adulthood. And also feeling like, you could just learn about your body without any judgment. Because I feel like there's like a sweet period where after your 
discovery masturbation is that you kind of go into a expected rite of passage to do the real thing. And this is yeah. where I think where the conversation about masturbation gets a little bit like taboo is because people still consider the idea of pleasuring yourself, not the real thing. And so you get this departure at a young age of like, who can go get the real thing the sooner, the better. So there's, there's this race to manhood. And then this precious two, three years between learning about your body and then trying to almost attempt to do the real thing is a very precious time. And I think it's a time where you could have had a big bro, you could have had someone to mentor, you could have, could have had a level of platonic intimacy about understanding your body. And I think what this sort of masturbation sort of kink that's kind of reemerging and through pandemic and so forth is making us realize that it is an act and a kink and a beautiful thing in itself. And it's not a prerequisite, you know, that can be replaced by having sex. It is truly a different type of relationship that you have with someone else. And you say, and you're right, a bro brotherhood of fraternity is the closest thing you can call it because there is uh, that sort of ease and relaxedness and sharing and coll collaborating and doing things together, which is almost like you're playing sports, you know, but like the male sport is their penis in a way. Yeah. As gay men, as kingsters, as men, just simply as men, why is it important for us to have these kinds of relationships or these kinds of bonds or these kinds of connections with other men? Uh, there's a lot of, from, from my story, I feel, you know, being in a long-term monogamous relationship for a long time and being quite fearful of having external types of relationships and and now opening up my relationship, realizing that I have no male friends that I can talk about things that are not, that is about my relationship, which is about my penis, which is about my like growth of a person who has different types of fantasies and desires. I just don't have those people in my life. You know, I've, I've realized that I kind of return back to the idea that where can I find for me a space where I can be completely authentic and honest about all the different things that I want to do and I won't be judged. And I feel like people think that coming out, you know, is, is, is the big thing, but I feel like we never stop coming out. Right. The idea is that we always learn new things. We always evolve. And so uh, part of this experience for me is about having these platonic friendships in a way that allows me to evolve and experiment and learn in a very collaborative way, because I think we spend a lot of time competing you know, even with gay spaces, uh, there's a lot of attention seeking, a lot of labels and hierarchies that we think we need to fall into, you know, that we have to choose. And I feel like within this space, you don't have to choose those things. You can just arrive. You think that, you know, let's say, um, going back to another statement I made earlier, you know, and thinking about the different, let's say, groups of people that may engage in this kind of beta play and especially in group play. I wonder whether or not some people might be using the, you know, no homo culture as an excuse or just as a way to maybe not admit that it's something that they're completely excited by or turned on by, mm -hmm. um, you know, what do you think about that? I think the concept of, you know, are we 
rather close-minded sometimes with the idea that, you know, male sexuality is very, very fluid and on a spectrum. Um, and I find that some guys who are straight or bi or bi-curious come to some of our events and I go like, you do whatever you want, mate. You can call yourself whatever you want. There is no need for yourself to feel like you have to be a particular label to enjoy the sense of camaraderie around people. So for me, it's not a form of being closet, but I think it's a form of intimacy that all men actually desire deeply, regardless of sexual orientation. I think it's actually much deeper, much more primal. Um, but I do think it allows people who maybe consider themselves on the straight world to feel somewhat safe, right? And safety is important because I think consent and boundaries is something that gay men sometimes flirt a little too far with each other very quickly. <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> very quickly. And creating that sort of culture where we very much respect each other's bodies is, is, is great. Uh, and that people have a choice to when they want to reveal more over time. And I, I know people, you know, think there is a rite of passage, but from someone who's been through the whole circle and tried it all, I feel like it isn't a rite of passage. It's a different mode of exchange. I think, you know, I remember as a kid, and maybe this is something you've experienced also, um, you know, like having a, my God, all the secrets come out now. We used to play a game. <laughs> we used to play a game, you know, as, um, you know, a group of little boys in my neighborhood, you know, always of like catch. And where I grew up in my yard, we had a, we, we had like one of the biggest yards in the neighborhood and we had a, a little utility room that was attached to our garage and it was a room that had basically no windows so you could like turn up the lights close the door and it would be completely dark and we always had this thing this game and you know the boys like to oh we'll go and we'll use your room and if you got tagged you had to go in the room with the person who tagged you and we would shut the door, they would close the door and close you in the room for X amount of minutes. And whatever happened in the room kind of like stayed in the room. And this was very interesting for a group of boys to play, you know, myself included. And I think I'm not sure that any of the other kids I played with or the other boys I play with as teenagers, you know, are are gay. Um, as far as I know, I'm maybe the only one out of maybe like eight or 10. And it was always very interesting. <laughs> this was a sign. This was a sign that they liked going in the room with me. Mm. Um, and it was always the point of, you know, there was always this intense touching and groping and everything else. And it was very interesting because we had this understanding that this didn't necessarily mean anything else beyond that. But it's now making me think also about this connection, you know, that we had this kind of bond, this connection that was definitely about a kind of a, you know, this was a brotherhood. This was this was a kind of a little fraternity. And there was definitely, I mean, we would, have, we would have never coined it as no homo back then, but there was definitely a no homo. It was a thing of boys um, exploring their sexuality and also exploring the sexuality of other boys without, you know, the fear of um, 
you know, being shamed uh, about exploring sexuality with uh, another boy. And I wonder if any of these kids that I played with them think about that now. It's something that stuck with me, you know, and I, you know, in your talk, you, you know, you also talked about, you know, masturbating with neighbors or like having like schoolmate fantasies or this idea of having a bigger brother, something that you thought may have been missing. Can you, can you, let's dig into that for you a little bit. What was that like for you? Why did you feel like this was something for you that was missing? I consider myself lucky that I kind of had that thing in my life, but I never place. I could never place it. I never really understood what it meant in my growth as a, from a young boy to a teenager, to a young man, and also into my sexuality. Um, but I think I can now count myself lucky for having had that experience. And, you know, when you talk about it, about the missing thing, what was the missing thing for you? I think the missing thing was someone to play with, you know, with, uh, and someone who didn't have any judgment yeah. on what exactly I wanted to play with, whether it's, you know, and I was a gay boy in a very, very typical sense, you know, I liked playing with other girls and things like that. And the boys also made me feel threatened, right? That I wasn't sporty enough or I didn't kick, I wasn't running fast enough. So I think it's the fact that we, I felt uh, slightly neglected or shamed into doing boy activities. Yeah. It's something that I've realized is like, I was a very physically capable boy, you know, as a younger age, I could do those things, except I wasn't into competition. I wasn't into, you know, all the different sort of games that the, the guys would play with each other. So what was missing was a masculine figure that allowed you to just be and still encourages you to be a boy. Because yeah. the thing is, you're no longer a boy if you don't do boy things. And I think that was the really big, that was painful growing as a kid because I knew I was a boy. And I was very happy, you know, with the body I'm in and so forth. But I think it just took such a long time to connect the social cultural exchanges between my sensitivity and tenderness and so forth as a gay person. And the idea of embodying this sort of being, which is in a man's body that you're capable of going in and it's like kicking balls and punching people in the face and all these things too. But it just isn't your vibe, if that makes any sense. That's just not my yeah. vibe. Yeah, completely. So, the idea of having this calm, masculine, accepting, almost like a brother figure or father figure is kind of what's missing in my life. And I think a lot of guys maybe have that same relationship with their parents or, you know, the father or the brother or whatnot, or maybe they, they may have it with friends, you know, over time. Um, I just never had that. And I felt my way of role playing as a king turns me on so much because I know it means so much to someone who is trying to build confidence. And I, I think that's part of the kink is that a lot of bros like bro playing. And I think when I talked about bro brother playing, brotherhood playing is something that a lot of people responded you know, within the Twitter spaces and chats is because we just want affirmation from each other. And men want it from each other all the time. You know, we unconsciously, you know, whether it's bodybuilding, you know, when you are going to the gym, the first person who asks, you know, or compliments you is not, a woman, right? It's always a, a bro saying, what have you been eating? What have you been lifting? What have you been taking? And it's this sort of level of level of homo erotic affirmation is what I think drives this kink, you know? 
because a previous lack of acceptance of being the state that you might have been when you were younger? I think this is like maybe a good point to answer to get this question in as well for the listeners, because people would always say, oh, you know, like wanking isn't kinky. What 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 for you is the, the connection, the relationship between baiting and fetish or baiting edging as a kink? You know, I know a lot of people who would argue that it definitely is for them. Um, you know, if I can just like jump in for a few little bits, you know, when you think about you know, I try to ask myself the question also, what is the relationship between it and why would it necessarily be kinky? And when I think about the things or how the practice, the stimulation actually happens, we incorporate, um, you know, the same toys and other accessories and gizmos and gadgets and Eastern things that we would use in any other kind of, you know, sex or kink play. Mm -hmm. And if we can use these same kink devices, does it then not make it, uh, you know, kinky? And maybe that's maybe too simple for me to explain it that way. But when we think about, you know, what is a a fetish, you know, Mm -hmm. that definition for some people might make them think, well, this is not a fetish. Right. So I think it's worth giving a label to something that hasn't been identified as a kink for so long. I actually have coined another term for it, which I think speaks a little bit more deeply into the act uh, and the different types of fetishes, which is called erotic male worship. And erotic male worship encompasses um, all the way from the masturbation, from solo baiting, mutual baiting, cam baiting, solo sexual, into acts of edging, which requires two people, So we have someone who likes to be edged and someone who edges, which is a form of light bondage to a certain degree, or you can go all the way to bondage. Then we have the idea of body fetishization because within the sort of male worship, there is also the worship of particular areas of the body, which is very masculine. For example, the the armpits. So there's people who are really into musk armpit worship, nipple play, which is huge. Um, all the way down to all parts of body hair, all around the body, the beard. Um, and then we go, you know, to the idea that this is because it's all through touch and it's all outer work because the, the kink is specifically about outer play, right? We're not looking to penetration. We're not even looking so much into oral uh, as such. We're looking at using your hands as an extension of how you play, tease and walk around people's bodies. And Kissing, touching, sucking different body parts like nipples and armpits are all allowed. Always people ask me, can you kiss? Of course you can, right? But the idea is that you're taking your time to really worship every aspect of someone's male divinity, right? And at this point, we're also having an energetic exchange because it's because it's not about penetration. Your biggest exchange is about giving feedback to each other and feeling the different sensations that you are giving back and forth. So this is where I think it blends into Tantra and energy and how people connect through the body as more like frequencies, you know, a cosmic frequency. And sometimes you say that when you meet someone who you really have a deep connection with, you know, it's beyond. I know, and it's indescribable. And I like to say you can get to that level of intimacy as well with the idea of worship. And I've been using more and more that we're doing erotic worship rather than baiting because baiting has a lot of synonymous uh, associations with uh, masturbating as a regular way of 
getting your body to function, right? So many guys say, <laughs> I do it in order to, like, I'm sweating, I'm baiting, or I'm eating, I'm baiting, great. Yeah. Uh, so I want to slowly, like, make a case for the fact that what we do as baiters is actually worship. We do deep level worship, whether it's you worshiping your own penis, worshiping your own smell, worshiping the person you're with. Um, and worship means you put a lot of attention to detail, you know, and you really respect their body to in a way that maybe is quite counter to some of the cultures of um, transactional sort of like hookup culture where you don't actually pay attention to anything. Right. So it is counterculture in the fact that you are looking at the male body as something that you can spend time and energy to understand better. And that, I think, is a very difference between uh, just baiting uh, versus erotic male worship, which I think is a thing. And I'd love absolutely. to hear <laughs> Oh, it absolutely is a thing. I mean, one of the things you talked about, um, you know, when I was listening to um, your session on Twitter, you know, you talked about baiting as being a part of sexual identity. And it was also something that made me really think about, you know, always when people say, you know, like, what are you into? I mean, this is not just the recon slogan, but it's a question that people ask all the time. What are you into? Um, what are you into sexually? And I wonder that more people aren't able to express or basically identify this particular part of their sexuality as something that they really enjoy. So I think you know, the fair is always that there seems to be this pressure to do 10,000 other things that we often don't focus on. Maybe these not, I wouldn't say less important, but these other smaller parts of our sexual identity that we really enjoy in at such a heightened level, you know, mm -hmm. that people don't talk about it. Um, where does baiting for you fit into your sexual identity? I know you've like touched on a few like little points here and there and there, but if you had to round it together, where does it fit for you in terms of Nick's sexual identity? Mm -hmm. So Nick's identity as a baiter, and I would so say baiter is the identity that people should coin. Uh, and the word baiter bro, actually, even the concept of my party is a combination of two words, right? It's acknowledging that you enjoy the act of masturbating with other people, which is bro, which is brotherhood. And there's also the idea that you're playful in discovering and learning about your body. Because I think that's for me is part of the beta's journey, which is something I talk a lot within my podcast is that you're always shifting and learning about different pleasure centers in your body. And the idea of being, being a beta for me is learning that, you know what, my hands are also my pleasure center, you know, and my scent is also, and that's all within me, right? So for me, it's about deep self-awareness. And with deep self-awareness, you are, you, you can be a great companion and a partner, you know, with a lot of other people because you know exactly where your body needs to be. And so my journey as a beta is about learning about my body and where it can go. And I think edging, is a great practice. Uh, I enjoy the idea of unhurried, unhurried experiences with people. Uh, so I also have a mixture of playing with different types of kings personally. Like I really do like role playing with the whole 
dom sub relationship but i always end up returning to hey let's find a beta bro let's find a bro to bait with let's not think about all the different <laughs> elaborate things you know that i need to do in order to fulfill this big role this big role that everyone has expectations for why can't we just be like low key and just bait you know and it's for me is equivalent to like a big bowl of fried chicken and pizza you know and us just like binging on self-pleasure you know and that, <laughs> that for me is like a really relaxing sort of situation where you know what just us bros man like just hang out like whatever you want smoke some weed have some poppers whatever watch some porn if you want or just like edge your edge your cock grease your dong you know Show show off what you really want to do in front of each other. That's really where I'm at. I'm with you to hold on to that thought. We'll take a short break and we'll be right back because I want to dig more into Beta Bro. Need something tight and shiny for a special event? Want ideas for your next session? At Regulation, we're stocking thousands of products, including leather, rubber, toys, electro, restraints, and playroom furniture. Now shipping worldwide, or get free UK shipping when you spend over £25. Visit our London store or shop online at regulation.co.uk. Regulation. Kink. Delivered. Okay, and so we're back. Nick, one of the things I want to get into, um, just like continuing on from where we left off just before the break, you know, you talked about Beta Bro, and I know Beta Bro is an event you started. Tell us how this came about. How did Beta Bro actually start? So Beta Bro has been running for six months now. And I, the inception of Beta Bro was the fact that I spent almost two to three years running Bromance Club and just some context about Bromance Club or BMC for some people. It is a, I would call it a bit of a cult online bait support group for a lot of men during the pandemic. Uh, it was something that I've realized the value of over time that we kind of need to be there for each other during the difficult times. And I love the interaction, the dynamics, the sharing, the different ways we were talking about bait and uh, and storytelling and experiences that I felt, you know what, this is a great experience, but, you know, I wonder how I could build some of this thing in real life. And the real reason is because, you know, after the pandemic, a lot of things shifted very quickly in terms of the pattern, the schedule, the going back to work. And so I saw a decline of interaction and the level of, you know, passion, enthusiasm for some of the online bait to fade a little bit. And I also felt like I needed to go out to test out my newfound confidence, if you would call it, you know, from leading and coaching these group of guys, you know, a few hundred guys on these group chats and and doing a lot of Zoom calls and Zoom baits and being a popper coach and a bait coach for all these years. And I said, you know what? I think I'm ready for the real world. <laughs> That's part of it. <laughs> I was like, I think I'm ready to do the real thing. And so I did the six months prior to my first event, I've decided to venture into the first ever Jack of Club in London. And they went to the London Jacks. And I I loved it. <laughs> it was so <laughs> it was so good. After, you know, putting on such a performance on cam and doing all these different things to 
get people to feel good about themselves. It was nice to be in a physical space where the, the rules and the boundaries were very clear. And I enjoyed a completely different learning experience being in a physical space with baiters, with other guys who are jerking off. So for context, there's also the, the idea of a jerk-off club has been around for 50 years now. And it's basically, it's specifically for guys to jerk off and there's no uh, sucking or fucking allowed in the club. It's purely just guys doing handwork. And so that got me inspired. I went straight to the bunker bar which is where I host my events. And I spoke to the organizer and said, you know, could we collab or could it, could we do something? Because I've got this online community that I would like to physically meet up more often, right? Because they're from all over the place. And I think it'd be so good that we can gather. And he says, you know what, you know, uh, I think we can't let you just run our existing event because it's kind of our clientele is our thing, but you could get a slot, which is available in three weeks time. And I said, Three weeks time. I don't have time. <laughs> As an organizer, you're always at the mercy. As a promoter, you're very often at the mercy of venues. That's oh, crazy. crazy. That's crazy. So he said, and I spoke to my group, people, Mondromans Club, which, by the way, is for me the most amazing emotional support group ever. I said, guys, I'm planning to do this in person event. I feel more and more I'm experimenting with my physical, you know, experiences more and the online thing has been great but i don't feel like i can have that much time to dedicate to facilitate this anymore and then this person one of the members said you know what if you do it in three weeks i will be there to help you right and so i said let's do it and i was initially going to call it the bromance club right and then it changed it occurred to me like but this isn't the bromance club the Romance Club is like this bigger, sort of fuzzy, warm, amazing thing that I've created. And this is just a party. Like for me, this is just a fun party to have a really, really beautiful time and to really showcase for me everything that I've seen online and transpose it into the physical space. So I said, let's call it Beta Bro because that's the name I saw coming up a lot on the Zoom Reddit um, listings of these different bait groups. It's Bader Bros, blah, 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 blah. So I said, it's going to be Bader Bro because that is an identity. And let's push it so this becomes an official thing. And at that point, it became um, kind of a gradual, uh, popular sort of event. By the way, we had 100 people show up on the first event as well. Like It, it was very well, well done. done. So we we have been strength to strength. We've never had less than 80 people in any of the events. And our last event uh, got 120 guys over. So we had the busiest event last month in uh, July. I know the space very well. And I can imagine the moisture on the walls and probably the floor as well. <laughs> moisture and fluids would be uh, in that space. I've not been in that space for quite a few years. I think the last time I was in there, it was called something else. And I think it was still called East Block the last time I was in there. So um, it's really cool that you found a space and that you created the space for people to come. And as a, an events you know, producer myself, I know how tricky this can be. Um, and I also know what it can be as, um, you know, uh, a person of color to create these spaces. Our listeners and other people may not know that you're Asian. So I would also ask for you, how does it feel, um, you know, to be an Asian guy leading, you know, this 
predominantly white subculture and creating this amazing space for people to come. Does does has that had an effect on you doing it, or does this bring you more people? Do you think people shy away from it? How does it make you feel? So very specifically, I am Southeast Asian. I am proud to be an Asian beta. Very, very proud. Amazing. And I think when I came out, and I have to say kept coming out is the right word, when I came out as someone who was hosting these online Zoom groups uh, for beta, uh, for Bromance Club, I remember being so hesitant to say, will I lose all my followers? Okay. That was like the biggest fear, right? Because at this point, I was the voice. I was like the Whitney Houston um, cam Zoom bait coaching. You know, I was the voice. It'd be like Nick's in the room, give him the mic, give him the ability to start facilitating this amazing bait show, right? And so I eventually showed my face and people were like, oh, this is even hotter. I'm like, oh, right. So maybe race isn't so big of an issue. And so I then kind of built confidence. And I think the reason why it's so important that I had this online space, because it allowed me to understand what was hot and what was kinky within the subculture before I physically went to do it, right? And so I realized actually my subculture tends to attract quite geeky, nerdy, introverted types of guys, right? And so for me, it turned out that my race was more of a benefit because it was like, oh, you're just as eccentric and as weird as all of us. You know, it it became more of a even a more of a selling point in a way. And sometimes I kind of forget and underestimate the fact that I know the subculture so well that I am physically so different from all the guys who come into the spaces. And I just forget sometimes and I get reminded, right? And I get reminded very, very clearly when I see other Asian guys messaging me behind the scenes in one of the beta bro events. He says, could you teach me how you can play or attract with white guys? And that was like the weirdest question ever, because for a moment, I didn't see race. When I'm running this thing, I don't see it really. But I just yeah. know that everyone needs to look like the colors of the rainbow because I'm a Londoner. Right. So like the the moment that the, the room was full of the same, you know, homogenous types of people, it's it's then for me, that's very strange. You know, when it's a mixture of people, that's when it's normal. Right. When it's like everyone and everyone. And so when he asked me that, I was like, and this guy was like this fit looking, like he was fit, like he was like a bulky built Asian bro, right? And I'm going, you're asking me tips, dude? Like, look at you, man. Like you, you look like you're about to go and slay right now, right? And and I think <laughs> and it turns out that I think the reason why I'm able to feel so comfortable is because I am a beater deeply. Like I am happy to play with myself. I'm happy to be the fullest of myself and give people the view of my enjoyment. And that for me is deep because if it was any other king, I feel like I've had to play a particular role, play a particular sort of expectation, maybe over butch it up, maybe submiss- make it myself more submissive. For me here, it's like, I'm just facilitating good vibes, man. Like we're just sharing space together. And so I personally think that this particular space and the ethos that comes with the brotherhood and the bait space allows for my race and my identity to become rather blended in quite smoothly. 
for me personally, but from the outside, it may be like, okay, who is this dude who looks totally different? I don't know someone else's perspective personally. Uh, but I just know that I attract people coming into the club and that should, that should be more the most important thing. And people come back. Right. Amazing. I have another question for you, you know, the term beta bro and also like listening to the conversation, listening to the chat and some of the terminology used. And this is also, you know, I'm just want to like poke the hornet's nest for just a little bit. The term, you know, you talk about bro and masculinity and like butching it up that it sounds very hyper-masculine. Mm. And I wonder whether or not people could, they might necessarily stay away from it or step back from it for fear that there's a kind of a toxic masculinity to this to this subculture, to this, to this group, you know, that you have to, when we think about bros, you know, what, what are bros? What is the first thing that comes to, comes to our mind when we think about the word bro or brotherhood? It does sound very masculine. And would that, would it not potentially put maybe some people who may really enjoy baiting, put them off from coming if they don't feel like they're not able to present in a particular way, um, to come, you know, to enjoy with the other bros. That is a very fair point. And I think a lot of people have been put off by the idea like, oh, is this, am I butch enough or am I masculine enough? Right. And sometimes when they show a picture of like, by the way, you know, I am a queer man, you know, and I also like, we love drag, right? This is a form of drag. Oh, completely. And I think that we should be able to drag up and drag down, drag left and drag right. You don't want to butch drag, femme drag, go for it, right? And so the idea of bro, and I know that bro has an association with quite douchey, quite arrogant, quite cocky sort of culture. For me, it's about why can't we embody that level of confidence as queer people in the same way that, you know, why can't we say we are queer as fuck? but we are also able to own a level of body confidence. And I say that as more of a body confidence energy because the bro culture, I think people think it's about like going to the gym, looking butch and so forth. But I would say brotherhood is for me a warmer, fuzzier tone because culturally, when I think of someone who is a brother coming from Asia, it's always a sign of respect. And it isn't, and that's why there's some, some cultural translations maybe that don't fall into place sometimes is that bro is a really respectful term for me because you're not someone's bitch. You are not someone's hoe. You are someone's bro, right? I hear you. And bro is brother. And if you have experienced a good level of brotherhood, right? Without the connotations of fraternity and all these different things that we may see in popular culture is that if we can allow brotherhood to be a soft, welcoming, loving energy, that's where Beta Bro wants to be. Amazing. Tell me, at Beta Bro, does body type matter? We love everything. And that's probably me who loves everything. <laughs> As, a <laughs> As a composer, I think it starts with the curation, right? And I am all about making sure that the underrepresented, you know, are loved, are given spotlight, even within the Zoom rooms that I host. 
I always make sure that I find the beauty within every single body type. And it's the same thing with beta bro is that if you are a twink, a bear, a chub, anything in between, even a trans man, you know, people have said, you know, can I come in as a trans man? I'm like, hell yeah. Like you're, if you love to worship the divine masculine and are respectful and you got the right vibe, you are so welcome here. Right. Who isn't welcome here? I would say there's a particular type. Those who think this is going to be a transactional sex club. We've had people who come in and they grow up and they touch and they make sure that everyone, uh, you know, knows that they're around to play, you know, before everyone feels ready to do that. And I think those people would get rather impatient and feel like this place is so slow. It's all for newbies or this is not welcoming enough. I feel rejected is because it isn't, it isn't a space for a fast and quick encounter. And therefore, the idea of the fact that you don't have to be nude, this is a clothed party. We really like the idea that you come in clothed and that you reveal at your own pace is because we believe that you set your own boundaries. You create your own eroticism. And many times I feel like, you know, people who are fully naked at parties sometimes aren't particularly the most attractive because I feel like earning the ability to see someone naked is the fun bit. Right. And I think. That's the erotic, that's the eroticism. That's the sort of art of flirting and courting that I think even the younger generation would benefit from learning from. And people who may have been around, you know, cruising physically in parks and so forth, love that. We love the eye contact. We love the gaze. We love seeing the bulge. So for me, all shapes are welcome, but also if you're not comfortable with your shape, where would you feel most sexy? You know, what you feel is the most at ease for yourself. And so that's my ethos with the event is like, you can come fully clothed. We also like clothed men, naked men vibes. You know, that's also a kink. Amazing. You know. Okay. I've got a few more questions for you. One in particular, like also listening to you talk, you talk about maybe some bits of what's allowed and what's not allowed. When I think about when people are baiting in the various ways or edging, you can also stimulate. Um, I would question why there is no, I can understand why there's no penetrative, penetrative sex, but why is there no sucking or even fingering? You also mentioned like not even fingering is allowed. And I know for some people, this is so stimulating alongside baiting or edging. Why is this not allowed? I personally have been questioning whether or not uh, fingering should be allowed in general. Mm-hmm. There has been, I would say, a rule book that's been determined by the jerk of parties that we've had over the past 50 years, which is, you know, could be legacy from HIV and sexually trans- transmitted diseases and the different AIDS sort of situation back in the day. So I think there's some leg- legacy factors around, you know, transmission of those um, sexually transmitted diseases. However, I think over time, I've learned to realize that that boundary and that sort of, in a way, that tension that you have before allowing yourself to go further is what makes the brotherhood. Because you're upholding this particular thing together. And you feel like that by the time, it's almost like saying, by the way, you can't, you know, you, you're not allowed to have uh, anything with sugar for the week. 
but you're doing it together. Okay. Yep. You're, not along, you're not allowed to do sugar. Don't think sugar is bad in small amounts. Absolutely fine. You can have a bit of sugar all, you know, you can have a sip of this, a sip of that. You have some honey if you wanted to, but it's almost like that restraint allows for a deeper bonding. And at first I wasn't sure, but I was like, you know what? I feel like it doesn't remove the depth of intimacy. And that was the biggest surprise. Amazing. Um, okay. A few more questions. Uh, listening to your chat, there was another term that came up and I had to like do some, some searching, looking at profiles on Recon and on Twitter. And it was interesting to see the amount of people that have uh, either changed or added some form of the word beta to their profile names. And another word that came up quite a lot was gooning. This is something completely alien to me. What the hell is gooning? Gooning is a state where your mind, body, and penis is almost connected as one. And we talk about penis worship as your own pers- your own penis as the driving fascination of your of your triggers, right? So when someone goons or in a state of absolute bliss in their own body, we're talking about a very extended period of edging, first of all. But there's also a culture within gooners that there is this hyper exaggerated expression that usually is within the face and the mouth where it looks like from most people's perspective looks like you're having a little bit of a bit of a uh, epileptic attack okay <laughs> you know to say it lightly you know it is not pretty face <laughs> it is not yes. pretty face. it's it's a really like real exaggerated expression as if you've got this extended orgasm Right. And you can see it's like your mouth is twisted, your eyes are crossed eyed. And there's obviously some stories about is gooning for straight people, is gooning for baiters. There's all these different sub arguments and discussions within the baiting community where it belongs to who who is allowed to do it and when you should do it. Yeah. But the thing is that it really provokes this much more primal state of, you know what, I'm so enjoying it that I don't care how the fuck I look. They're like, this is so deep in my body. And it's it's fascinating because there's monkey baiters, monkey gooners as well, with their sound associations with it as well. And there's obviously a lot of spit. So if I was to picture how this looks like, it's a man with his eyes slightly cross-eyed with spit drooling, dripping down his mouth. And that spit is what's hot. You know, he's literally drooling all over his nipples and his penis, and he's lubing it through that expression and not allowing himself to come. Amazing. Another term that I got from your talk as well was somebody identifying as the beta himbo. What's the beta himbo? If I understand it quite correct, I think we may have a lot of secret beta himbos out there. Tell us what is a beta himbo. So beta himbo, which is a few, uh, two terms, right? We've got the beta who loves masturbating and we've got the himbo. And the whole purpose of a beta himbo is to provide inspiration and bait fuel. And the word bait fuel is basically a term for you are giving me so much good stuff that I'm turned on by it and I want to masturbate myself to you, right? So it has a bit of a crossover between, uh, you know, extreme exhibitionism and proudly showing off all the work that they've been doing at the gym 
for example, they don't have to be particularly like big and developed and, you know, full of, uh, you know, muscles as such, but you could be someone who is uh, very much athletic uh, or strives to be athletic and is giving the full pose. And I was like, oh, there's always this thing called the bait flex where, you know, there's, there's flexing your, your, yeah, that's called yep. the double, the double <laughs> biceps. Going with the pelicans. Yeah. The double bicep uh, flex. And you're having a very, very strong erection. It's right between your legs. And you are very proudly aroused by your own level of strutting and flexing for others. I would say within Vogue culture, and I always call it back to voguing, it's equivalent of face. It's equivalent yeah. of, you know, giving your all to the audience. And you can vibe off that expression of saying, oh, he's such a himbo baiter. And there is a kink with being very much objectified as the pinup boy to come to, to uh, give tribute to. And that's also part of the bait culture is exposing and sharing and um, giving your come tribute to someone as part of the exchange. It's a kink because, uh, you know, in a way, these men are also quite nerdy sometimes. <laughs> and maybe they're not always objectified that way. Right. Mm -hmm. So when they have the opportunity opportunity to be, you know, I'd love to be objectified as a beta himbo so people can give me praise and give me the inspiration to keep working out. That is what it's about. One other thing I think that was very important to point out, and this is also from listening and looking around and listening to your chat and doing some other bits. There were quite a few things talked about around baiting, Viagra, poppers, um, health risks, you know, a lot of people might potentially take a Viagra if they're going to, you know, um, a bait bro event, or even if they're at home baiting, you know, they may be at home edging, they may have had a Viagra so they can last a little bit longer. But we've always heard this, um, you know, that poppers and Viagra don't mix. What are you, what is your advice for people who come to bake bro or for people who may be just doing it at home on poppers and Viagra? Why is this such a risk? So for those who coming to the beta bro party, which is intimidating for many, because from the outside, this must, this must be a really butch event for the guys who are super hung and, you know, muscly and so forth. Uh, and actually when you, when you arrive, you know, sometimes it's very difficult to get it on, you know, to get it hard when in, in a new setting. So what I advise is never mix, definitely do not mix poppers and Viagra. And the idea is that if you do need it just to boost it, because I do give these tips out to all the people who come is take a third of a pill, like just to, just to feel like a placebo effect. Like it just needs to make you feel like you have a push. You know, it's almost like taking a pre-energy workout drink before a workout. Like, yeah, sure. There's some sugar. There's some caffeine. <laughs> you know, you're not going to ask you to not take a pre-energy workout drink. No, you got to take it. Right. So I would always advise, you know, don't use the poppers if you're, you're going to take. But if you're going to take, you know, a third, just make sure that you don't mix it up. Right. Um, and then on top of this is because it's a group event and a group situation, and I want to just also de debunk a little bit, is that there isn't a big fetishization of penis size as much as you think within the community, uh, because it's all about 
how hard you can get and stay, <laughs> right? That is really the whole, that's the real social currency as a beta. It's like, you should be able to be turned on as long as you can. Mm-hmm. And the size and the, the quality of your erection and the vibe of what you bring, you know, the ability to share that energetic thing that comes from within going out is what's really most valuable. And so when people go, oh, I'm not hung. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm like, dude, we have guys circle jerking with like hung guys, with small guys, with all together. And that's what's beautiful about it. You know, is that there is no pecking order and hierarchy just because you've got a bigger dick or just because, et cetera. And if you cannot stay hard, that's also cool. You know, I've got someone who came uh, last time for the party and he says, you know, I couldn't get hard, but I really enjoyed myself. And I said, you know what? That's the most important thing. Yeah. Because I know for many people, there's always this fear that, you know, well, these are very often two fears. One, you can't get hard. And two, you know, you're going to be looking around. It's like, you know, schoolboys in the locker room in the shower looking at the other boys who may be bigger than them. And this for many people can be extremely intimidating. There is a bit of a healing process that I find is interesting with um, cock sizes and hierarchies that we tend to do as gay people is that we start categorizing where they sit in the pecking order of sexual rituals. And the thing with the party that I'm in is that I find some guys who are super hung also deeply appreciate much smaller guys. And there is also no expectation of them to be subbed or penetrated or sucking. And I think that completely changes the social conversation, the construct around size and hierarchy, because then you get this idea that we're just sharing a bait together. And so I really want to make, you know, a very clear point that you know, we love a beautiful penis. We love, you know, a strong and healthy penis. But we also love giving appreciation to all types of penises. Uh, amazing. One final thing before we go. Um, any tips or suggestions for our listeners on one, if they wanted to start their own Bay community, how might they do it? And two, how could we find out more about the Bromance Club? Brilliant. So... First question was, uh, how can I start their own bait community? So we have a weekly podcast at, um, on Twitter spaces and we do a podcast every Wednesday at 9 PM where we discuss all the different types of uh, promoters and organizers that create local bait or jerk off events within their communities. Uh, we share tips. So if you would like to know more, definitely join in our Wednesday calls which is uh, at BetterBroBMC on Twitter. And if you do want some practical tips of how to do it today, um, there's a few ways you can do it. Uh, one, there's Sniffies, which I think is a really fantastic app in terms of uh, allowing pe- people to physically go into uh, spaces to do potentially jerk off parties together. Uh, and there's also, uh, for me, sites like BitWorld and grinder where you can actually filter out uh, the kink of jacking off or J-O or edging. And I think that could be a good start for you to start having interpersonal relations with people who are interested in a similar type of kink. Uh, That's the first bit. And the second bit is uh, the Romance Club. So currently, if you want to know more about um, the online sort of scene of baiting and so forth, please do check out uh, the bromance.club. 
we are currently going through a bit of a revamp uh, because I'm trying to mix all the learnings, you know, from the beta bro party into how we can make this an online community that is seamless between physical spaces and online spaces. But please do uh, check out the bromance.club and send me an email. Um, it's hello at the bromance.club. I'm also on um, Instagram, nickwolf.bmc. Otherwise, we can share the links further down um, this opportunity. We will. We'll share those links um, to your social profiles as well as to uh, the Bromance Club at the end of the podcast. But Nick, this has been incredibly, incredibly insightful. And it makes me think that I may need to go back to my recon profile and add beta to my, my list of things that I'm absolutely interested in. And I'm sure many of our listeners may well do the same. Um, I look forward to seeing uh, more of you talking about, um, you know, being a beta or baiting. Um, and just remember, as we always say, uh, when we talk about these things, which are very um, sexual on the podcast and also within the King community, enjoy whatever you're doing, but just keep it safe sane and consensual and who knows we may be um seeing you at a beta party somewhere very soon so nick thanks again thank you for listening and we'll see you in the next podcast thank you bye for now bye